0: The ultimate goal for every Christian is what? How would you answer that question? Well if it's the ultimate goal then it has to be comprehensive enough to encompass every Christian. So it uh, must include both the rich as well as the very poor. It must be the same for men as well as women. It must be available for the young as well as the old, and it must be accessible for the single talented among us as well as the multi talented. Well, I think the greatest answer that I've ever read to that question what is the ultimate goal for every Christian life comes from the Westminster Confession of Faith. And here's how that catechism opens What is the chief end of mankind? And then the wonderful answer is given, mankind's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I think the greatest definition that I've ever heard of what it means to glorify God came from Charles Ryrie, who's the author of the Ryrie Study Bible, and he put it in very simple terms that I've never forgotten. This is what he said, to glorify God is to show Him awe. Now, all of us know what it means to show off. I think a few of us have done that in our life, haven't we? We have drawn attention to ourselves. So glorifying God, then, means we draw attention to Him. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the great apologist, weighed in on this, and he said the glory of God is the real business of life. And I think he's exactly right. The glory of God is the real business of life. Now, here's the question. How do we glorify God best? And what enables us to glorify him if this indeed is the chief end of mankind? Well, this morning, I want to bring a message simply entitled Glorifying God in Victory. And we're going to return to Genesis chapter 14 and look at verses 17 to 24. Because at the end of this very stunning victory over the eastern kings that we saw just a few weeks ago, Abraham faces an even greater test. Can you believe that? This is a greater test than that battle brought to him. And the test was this. Would he take the glory for himself, or would he give the glory unreservedly to God? Abram passed the test. He passed the test. And how he did that is the subject of our message this morning. I hope all of us would say, if I were tested in this way, I would pass the test of giving the glory to God. And so take your Bibles and turn with me if you will to Genesis chapter 14 and I want to read verses 17 through 24 and you follow along as we look at this incredible test that Abraham faced and how he passed this test. Notice what the Bible says. After his return from the king of Ketala omar and the kings or of, from the defeat of Kether-Omar and the kings who were with him the king of Sodom went out to meet Abram at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram and he said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram gave to him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but you can take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten, and the share of the men who went with me, my allies in the area, let Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre take their share. Now, the first thing that jumps out at us as we look at this narrative, this episode, is that we glorify God best by honoring him in our life. If I could reduce this down to how do we bring glory to God in the best way, I think the text here is telling us the way that that happens is by honoring God in our life. Now, after this defeat of the four kings, verse 1 tells us that the king of Sodom, who had recovered from fleeing, went out to meet Abram as he was on his way home. Remember, this is about a 400-mile trip as Abraham round-trip makes his way home. And the Bible says here that they met in the King's Valley, which Josephus, the Jewish historian, said was about 400 yards southeast of Jerusalem. This is a very significant meeting. In fact, we could dare say this is one of the most significant meetings in all of the Bible. The king of Sodom, whom verse 2 tells us his name was Bera, makes what seems like a very generous offer. He says in verse 21, you give me the persons and you take all of the goods for yourself. Now, this seems very fair to us, doesn't it? Seems very fair. Uh, the, The king of Sodom's people would want to return home. All the stuff that they had lost would seem to be in the king's power to give. So this seems to us like a very fair offer. But we need to notice, this was very devious, very deceptive. To begin with, it was presumptuous. You see, in ancient Near Eastern custom, both people and materials always went to the victor. We still say this today, don't we? To the victor belongs the spoils. And no one would have questioned that Abram, after winning the battle at great risk, had all of this in his control and possession. So Berah is actually in no position to bargain at all, yet he arrogantly takes control of the situation. Second reason this was devious and deceptive, although the author seems very generous, it was really calculating, conniving, and self-serving. It is very possible that a document was written up to formalize this agreement that we have just read here. And I don't know what you think about somebody like the king of Sodom, but I can just imagine him returning home with a document in his hand, waving it through the streets of Sodom and saying, Hey, everyone, look who I'm allied with. I'm allied with the great and wonderful and powerful sheik, Abram. And can't you just see this king, Bera, saying, Do you see all his wealth? Some of that wealth, in fact a large portion of it, I gave to him, I made him rich. We're buddies. And what appears like generous actions is actually manipulative and enterprising. Now, we have to stop here for just a moment, and we have to say, was this much of a temptation for Abraham? And brothers and sisters, you better believe it was a temptation. In fact, it was a huge temptation. Easy money, sanctioned by the culture, is very hard to turn down. Try it sometime. Have some easy money come your way that the culture says, hey, this is yours, and you try to turn that down. This week while I was in the store, the man in front of me in one of the stores that I was in bought some lottery tickets. And suppose that the tickets he bought were the winning tickets, and so he won the lottery. What are the chances that he would say to himself, you know what? I shouldn't really be gambling anyway. I think I'll give all of my winnings away to charity. How many of us this morning think there is the remotest possibility that he would do that? That's not why people buy lottery tickets. You see, easy, legal money is very, very hard to turn down. We need to make no mistake about this. Make no mistake at all. Abram, if he takes this money from a corrupt and conspiring king, he would dishonor God. There's no question about it. He would taint his own reputation... And the reputation of the God that he represented now that he had become popular in all of Canaan. And of all the reasons to turn this money down, and there are a number. The primary one that Abraham saw was this is about the honor of God. Look again at verse 23. I have lifted my hand, he said, to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. I will not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Abram saw it. He saw it. This is about the honor of God, and I will not dishonor God with this easy, legal, Money. Many of us know that Pastor A.W. Tozer was known for saying very profound and memorable things. Here's one of them. I'm so gra- grateful that I've read it. God is looking for people in whose hands His glory is safe. What a thought. God is looking for people in whose hands His glory is safe. And Abraham was becoming one of those people. Wouldn't you like to be one of those people? Wouldn't I? Oh, to be people in whose hands the glory of God is safe. What greater goal could there be for the Christian life? Now, the second thing that jumps out at us from this narrative, this episode, is what enables us to honor God. I think that's the thing that comes out of the text. And we have to say this, how in the world did Abraham see the issue so clearly That he said, This money is easy, this money is legal, no one would ever ask a question about it. But the honor of God is at stake, and I will not take it. How did Abraham do this? Well, in order for us to understand this, we have to know that the structure of this narrative is very crucial. As I read it for you earlier, you noticed that it started with the king of Sodom, and it ended with the king of Sodom. In the middle, we meet the king of Salem. Now, by this structure, what Moses is doing, who recorded this for us, is he's giving us the theological meaning of what Abraham did. By the way, this structure is known as a chiasm. And a chiasm always is what tells us the main point. So it is the arrival of the king of Salem, Melchizedek, that strengthened Abram to make the right decision. That's what Moses wants us to see in this episode. Now I can just imagine somebody here this morning saying, boy, I wish God would send me someone who would help me to honor him. Well, who is Melchizedek a type of? The Lord Jesus Christ. Melchizedek is the only man in the Old Testament who was both a priest and a king. And Jesus is the only man in the New Testament prophesied in the Old Testament who also is a king and a priest. Brothers and sisters, Melchizedek represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Melchizedek strengthened Abram to glorify God, so Jesus can strengthen us to glorify God. It's a little early this morning. Are you with me? Amen. As Melchizedek strengthened Abram to glorify God, Jesus and strengthen us to glorify God. Oswald Chambers, in his great classic, My Utmost for His Highest, said this, To do even the most humbling task to the glory of God takes the Almighty God incarnate working in us. And that's who Jesus is. And that's who Melchizedek represents. Now as we look at this episode then, Melchizedek helped Abram honor God in three ways. And Jesus will do the same for us as we follow him. Let me give you the three ways and then we will look at the first two today. All right? Here they are. If we are going to glorify God by honoring Him in our life, here are three things that have to happen. Number one, understanding the nature and promises of God. Number two, fellowshipping with believers who honor God. And number three, tangible actions showing that God is first in our life. Let me say those again, and then we'll look at the first two. Understanding the nature and promises of God, fellowshipping with believers who honor God, and tangible actions showing God is first in our life. Those three things will enable us to honor the Lord in our life, and that's the chief way of bringing Him glory. So let's look at the first two, all right? understanding the nature and promises of God. Look back at verse 19 and notice what this man Melchizedek said to Abram. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, Pastor Martin Luther thought that this is just the Cliff's Notes of a much longer sermon that Melchizedek gave. And he's probably right that this was a much longer sermon focused on praise to God. And I want you to notice in the Cliff's Notes that we have how God-centered it is. To bless God, verse 20, means to extol Him in praise. And brothers and sisters, this does just that. When Melchizedek refers to the Lord as God Most High, that is a very rare way of talking about God in the Old Testament. And in this episode, it occurs four times. It means that God is a supreme being who is above all other so-called local gods. When he says that he is the possessor of heaven and earth, possessor is not the normal word for creator. It means that God is not only the creator, but he is the owner of everything. And then when he says in verse 20, Abram, he's the one who delivered you from your enemies. That is the very same root word that God will use later in the next chapter to say, I'm your shield. I'm your shield. Now, what is Melchizedek doing here? He is reminding Abram how big God is and how little Abram is. He is reminding him of the true source of his victory. By the way doesn't this remind us of Jesus in John 15:5 apart from me you can do what? nothing nothing One of the greatest ways and motivators to honor God is to be reminded of who he is. And who we are. Right? I hope one of the reasons you read your Bible is to be reminded of who God is and who you are. One of the reasons we're here today in this worship service is to be reminded who God is and who we are. You see, when God is big and we are small, it's very hard to rob him of glory, isn't it? But when God is small and we are big, it's very easy to dishonor him, isn't it? Very easy. And so what Melchizedek is saying to Abram is, I want to remind you of something. I want you to be reminded of the nature and promises of God, and when you are reminded, you will see how big he is and how small you are, and that will motivate you to make the right decision." By the way, uh, we are praying for the next pastor of this church. We had a nice prayer meeting for that on Sunday evening. If you would say to me, Pastor, what kind of pastor should we be praying for? I would say, well, one of the things to include is this. Pray for a pastor whose God is very big and he is very small. Because if you get that kind of pastor, he will focus you on God, and if you are focused on God, it will lead to honoring God. Let me just also say here, I'm grateful to our music director, Julie, for choosing songs that honor God as great and holy. Aren't you grateful for that? J.S. Bach, the great Christian composer, said this, All music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. And even the music that we sing about God will have an impact on our desire to honor Him. And so, if we want to live a life that honors God, and that's the greatest way to bring him glory, we must understand the nature and promises of God. Let's look at the second way that Melchizedek helped Abram to honor God. Fellowship with believers who honor God. Fellowshipping with believers who honor God. Look at verse 18 with me again. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Now, when Melchizedek brings out bread and wine, we need to understand this. This was actually a fellowship meal for a peace treaty. Uh, this is a figure of speech, bread and wine would refer to an entire meal, and when he brings this out to Abram and those who are with him, it is a communal meal designed to enter into a peace treaty. Now here's what we need to understand, the word Salem, King of Salem, that is a word that means peace. It is related to the word Shalom, which is still the greeting that Jewish people, People have today to their friends that means peace. So think about this. Melchizedek is offering to be an ally to Abram. What an ally he would be, right? Right. By the way, think of this. If he represents Jesus, who's offering to be your ally? Wow. What do we see here about Melchizedek? Well, number one, he's a believer. We know that because Abram, down in verse 22, uses the same words to describe the God that Melchizedek has just spoken about. And Abram says about this God that Melchizedek has just spoken about, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that this God is Yahweh, he's the Lord. So, this is a brother. This is a believing brother. And then I want you to notice this name, Melchizedek, it's probably not a name but a title. Because it means king of righteousness. Malki, king, Zedek, righteous, king of righteousness. It's probably describing the way he ruled. In the midst of pagan, immoral, superstitious Canaan, here is a man who rules righteously. He has the same goal as Abraham, to live a righteous, God-honoring life. And then when it says he is priest of God most high, he was serving God just as Abraham was. By the way, a little insight here. We learn that uh, what this is teaching us is after the flood, there are some people that retain the true knowledge of God. That Abraham is not the only one. By the way, can you think of another person living at the time of Abraham who also retained the true knowledge of God? Can you think of another person? Job. Job lived at the time of the patriarchs. So there's Job, there's Melchizedek, there are some who are scattered after the flood who still retain the knowledge of God. And here is a man who is a believer. He has the same goal of serving God that Abraham has, and he is living a righteous God-honoring life. And when Abraham refused the, author of, the, the offer of Sodom and gave 10% of everything to Melchizedek, it was very clear who he was choosing, right? Very clear who Abraham was choosing. Let me say this this morning to myself and to you. Next to having a big God and a little you is fellowshipping with believers who honor God. Next to having a big God and a little you is fellowshipping with believers who honor God. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. If you want to know what kind of church you should attend, find one that is focused on a great and holy God. Because that will tell you something about the people in that church. You go to a church that is focused on a great and holy God, It's because the people in that church are focused on Him in that same way. And they will have an impact on you. They will have an impact on you. As I think back of all my professors in three different schools that I attended, If you said to me, what impacted you most, their classroom instruction or their life, I would say, I can't really choose. And it was being around them as believers who honored God who made such an impact on me. So many of them have gone on to be with the Lord now. I think of them as spiritual fathers. I didn't at the time. But now I realize, they were spiritual fathers. And if you fellowship with people who honor God, it'll make an impact on you. And you will desire to do the same. The medieval theologian, Thomas Aquinas, said something that at first, strikes us as a little bit different. And we have to think about it. But listen to what Thomas Aquinas said. He said, we pay God honor and reverence, not for His sake, because He is of Himself full of glory to which no creature can add anything, but we do it for our sake. We don't glorify God for His sake. How could we make Him any more glorious? Right? We glorify God for our sake. Living for the glory of God changed Abraham. And it will change you. It will change me. See, the chief end of mankind is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We glorify Him best when we honor Him in our life. And three great ways that will help us to honor Him are understanding the nature and promises of God, fellowshipping with believers who honor God, Intangible actions showing God is first in our lives. God is looking for people in whose hands His glory is safe.